Well, welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. If you would come and uh, find your seats, we're going to uh, begin the, our second evening of uh, panel discussion. I wanted to introduce our panelists to you very briefly uh, first. So we have uh, uh, Pastor John Fulmar, who is the pastor of Evangelical Christian Church in Dubai. Um, you, of course, know uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner. And uh, Josh Manley is the senior pastor of uh, RAC. Um, what is the name of the, your church, Josh? Evangelical. Rack Evangelical Church. Um, so sorry. Um, and uh, we were really <laughs> Dr. Eric Zeller is, uh, uh, of course, he's the, the president of the Gulf Theological Seminary, and as well, he is an elder at uh, Redeemer Church in Dubai. And then um, Pastor Aubrey Sequera is the senior pastor of uh, Evangelical Community Church here in Abu Dhabi. Um, now, as, as much as, as fun as it might be, this is not going to be round two of the uh, Millennium discussion last night, even though it would be extra fun for me to see uh, the, the odds stacked in my favor this time the uh, for a change. This time the premillennialists are outnumbered. Yes, are outnumbered and... Um, double. I'm, I'm up for it. Yeah, um, <laughs> now, this would be good for, for me and for the rest of us, but... Uh, Maybe not, well, maybe it wouldn't be good for me, because this is my boss um, that we're talking about here, so. Um, but no, we're talking about something that's actually far more important. Um, we're talking about the, the relevance of the book of Revelation on the Christian life, and um, this is something that may strike some of you as, as, as odd, because the book of Revelation, of course, uh, may seem odd the first time that you encounter it, and yet um, we know that all of uh, the Word of God is uh, written for, for our edification and our instruction uh, and training in godliness. And so we do uh, believe just um, that, that every word is, is written uh, for us and uh, that there is benefit to be gleaned from it. But, um, so I wanted to, to, uh, to talk to some of these panelists about how the book of Revelation has impacted them uh, individually in their lives. So we'll, let's, let's go ahead and begin um, that. Josh, let's, let's, uh, let's hear from you. Uh, first of all, just how maybe you could talk to us about your experience with the book of Revelation and um, what, what you, how, how would you encourage us to actually consider uh, the book of Revelation something that is useful for a Christian to read uh, for the Christian life? My experience with the book, I was scared to death of the book when I was a child. I was convinced that at some point in my life I'd be hiding in my room because some oppressive government was going to be coming to find me and I probably was... I was in a community where we would read the newspaper to understand the book of Revelation. As I've grown in my own Christian faith, uh, the book has deeply uh, encouraged me and instilled in me confidence that Christ reigns. Christ is reigning over every empire and every event in history. Uh, the book has given me confidence in God, Christ, God and Christ's sovereignty over every detail of my life and every, over, over every detail of uh, the events of the world. I think it's also given me a confidence that evil's day is going to come that evil will end. And uh, yeah, I think the book has become for me a great source of encouragement and strength uh, as I've been able to understand the book and, and see God's glory and his, mean, his purposes for us as the church in it. Pastor Aubrey, yeah. My uh, experience with the book of Revelation growing up was a little different because I used to play heavy metal and was in a metal band 
and six, six, the, the Number of the Beast was an album by Iron Maiden. And uh, yeah, so I went to the Book of Revelation for cool images and uh, possible band names and song names uh, until the Lord saved me. <laughs> um, and I would say personally and both in pastoral ministry, uh, Revelation is a refreshing reminder. Um, you know, we think about the pandemic, politics, persecution, and in all of the dreariness and difficulty of life, uh, Revelation helps to lift our eyes upward to Jesus reigning and sovereign. Uh, he is on the throne and lift our eyes forward uh, to, the day, to the day when his kingdom uh, will be all in all. So uh, I think it's done that for me personally in many times of discouragement, and I think, yeah, it should do that for all of us as believers. Mm. Some of you have preached on the book of Revelation before, preached all the way through it. So John, um, you have, Tom and, and Josh, each of you have preached uh, cover to cover uh, or chapter to chapter, the whole book of, of Revelation. Um, I, I'd like to hear you reflect on why you decided to do that, when you decided to do that. Um, maybe we could kind of pull the curtain a little bit. I, I don't know if you guys know this, but when, when, if, when you're a member of a, of a church that, that practices faithful exposition, preaching through books of the Bible, there's a lot of planning that goes into um, when to preach on, what book to preach on, and uh, sermon prep and just studying to get a hold of, of the book before you actually begin uh, to preach, preach those sermons to your people. And so, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of intentionality, right, that goes into choosing a book to preach through and, um, and then deciding when to preach through it. So maybe you could talk a little bit about um, when, when you preached on the book of Revelation, why you decided to preach on it when you did, and then just reflect on the... the uh, the fruit that came about from that, maybe what was surprising. We'll, we'll go ahead and begin with you, John. I, I have been preaching for eight years. Is this on? I don't think so. <clears throat> there you go. I'd been preaching in Dubai for eight years, and I finally got to Revelation. I didn't have any grand scheme. Okay. Um, I was just rotating through a different genre of Scripture. So uh, I had preached prophets. I'd preached gospels. I'd preached histor historical narrative from the Old Testament, et cetera. And eventually it was time to preach some apocalyptic. And um, I did that. And um, my practice is just to regularly, systematically preach through books of the Bible in that way. So I didn't have any, uh, it wasn't aimed at a particular issue facing our congregation. Okay. Um, the Bible speaks to us where we are. and. Um, it was just such a joy unpacking a book that for most people, they find it so mystifying and intimidating mm -hmm. that, that many of them don't even read the book. Yeah. And I relish the, the, relish the opportunity to basically unpack it and simplify it for God's people. And just what a joy that was. And, you know, the fact that it's front-loaded with application, it's eminently applicable to the Christian life. Yeah. And I enjoyed that uh, back in 2013 and 14. Yeah. You guys, Tom, Josh? Anything to add to that or ways that you would answer that question? Yeah, I think uh, I preached it about eight years in as well. I think my, I thought the congregation was ready for it, but like John said, I think they were ready for scripture. But really my motivation was, I think this, I wanted to communicate, which I've been saying some of the class as well, 
Revelation is applicable, it's understandable, it fits with what we see in the rest of Scripture. It's, it is a different genre, but the message, the message is an, a, encouraging and it accords with the rest of what we read in Scripture. That's, that's basically what I wanted to say. Look, it's not, it's not this weird book that is so different from the rest of the Bible. Mm-hmm. I, I want to pick up <clears throat> on, that, on that thought on the... Um, that it accords with the rest of scriptures in just a minute. But before I do, Josh, maybe you can uh, share with us any, any ways that the, the book of Revelation disrupted expectations. It's one of those books where no matter who you are, uh, partly because of what you were just talking about, John, that, that uh, it's, it's a very mystifying book uh, when, they, when people approach it. But um, everybody's going to come with, with some expectations about what the book is about and how... What, what we're actually to learn from it. So I, I feel like anytime the book of Revelation is going to be preached systematically, verse by verse, all the way through, it's going to disrupt some expectations. So um, any reflections on the way that the, the book of Revelation landed for your people when you were preaching? Well, I think it's what they both are saying and what you're saying even as you teach it. This book is so relevant for your life today. I think people are wanting something extraordinary. They're wanting to find out something that they that, that's so mystifying, but yet the book is just so practical, mm-hmm. and it's so understandable. I do have, as I think about that, I was, by God's grace, able to teach this book some years ago to Afghan house church pastors and Christians who would be uh, suffering a great deal in that, had been in that country, and I, we went through this book together over a course of four or five days, and to unfold it for them, to teach this book to them, and they resonated with every bit of it and took so much encouragement that the the circumstances that they were in weren't random, that Christ was reigning over them. It wasn't, it was so, it was kind of like, aha, aha, for them again and again and again. And I think it should be that for all of us as we, as we, uh, as we go through the book. But I think for our own church, there was just a lot of joy in understanding it and seeing that this is a very uh, plain and encouraging book for Christians, and that's what it's meant to be. Yeah. Can I say one other related thing is the reason it's so difficult these days is not the imagery, the apocalyptic literature. I think it's that it's so thoroughly saturated in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. many of us are less familiar with the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we approach these images that are finding their termination, their fulfillment in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. But if we're not familiar with where they're coming from, mm-hmm. they, they hit us with less force mm-hmm. and maybe more confusion. Yeah. So... Yeah, John was thoroughly saturated in the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is actually the piece that I wanted to pick up on. And um, I think I read uh, one commentator recently say that the, the, it's, it's not so much that, that John in the book of Revelation is, is writing a, about the Old Testament. It's that he's writing with the Old Testament, mm-hmm. that, that all of his words are picking up images and making allusions and references with the Old Testament. It's almost like the Old Testament words are the ink and pen that he's actually writing with. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Um, there's so much Old Testament sort of context that, that is required in order to even understand what, what it is that he's actually doing. Um, so I, 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 let me figure out how to articulate this question. What, what do you think is the solution? This can be for any of you. What do, what do you think is the solution if... Um, is it just to preach on the book of Revelation or to introduce, to begin to teach on the book of Revelation and then go to those Old Testament passages or to sort of try to get your people to become and try to get you, you as an individual become more 
uh, saturated with Old Testament in the Old Testament context, or is it a little bit of both? Um, it's a poorly poorly articulated question, but I think you guys see what I'm getting at. So yeah, just anybody anybody reflect on that? You, yeah, yeah, I'll speak Eric. to that. Um, and my take on that is that the more we study the Bible, the better we understand the Bible. Yeah. And which is to say that it's not just Revelation. I agree with what John said that that's true of Revelation particularly, but it's actually true of the whole New Testament, that the best way to understand the New Testament is to understand the Old Testament really well. So the more you're reading the Old Testament, the more you're reading through the Bible through the years, Pastor Aubrey was talking about yesterday, uh, the more you're having opportunity to study different parts of the Bible, it all starts fitting together more and more. There's a cumulative effect throughout your Christian life as you have different kinds of opportunities to study, whether that's in foundations here at GTS or in some, you know, a class at church or in different preaching series. It all comes together and you start to see Scripture more clearly. And so I would say, yeah, all of the above, by all means, sit under good preaching and by all means, uh, read the Bible for yourself. But, but yes, um, study the Old Testament and then Revelation, but the rest of the New Testament as well will become more clear. I remember hearing somebody in the UAE preached Zechariah before he preached Revelation. I can't remember who that was. I did that. Was it you? Yeah, yeah. so I did Daniel, Zechariah before we did Revelation oh, because there's man. so much there, yeah. and I hope that it would, we'd make these connections to these books. Did yeah. you do one, two, three like that? It wasn't sequential just like that, but yeah. they were relatively yeah. close in order. Right. right. Pastor Avery, you preached on Zechariah and... You're actually just wrapping up a class that you taught this semester on Zechariah. So actually, this, the, at, the, at the far end of this panel, we have uh, uh, Eric is wrapping up a class on Revelation that he's been teaching all semester, and uh, Aubrey's wrapping up a class on Zechariah that he's been teaching uh, this semester. So yeah, maybe, maybe you guys can reflect on some of these things from, uh, from a prefer, prefer, professor, professorial uh, perspective. Um, yeah, and, and maybe you, Aubrey, just, just um, in terms of the, the benefit of getting really saturated in, in an Old Testament book like Zechariah and how that actually impacts your reading on the book of Revelation. Yeah, I, um, so I took a class in Zechariah way back uh, in 2012. And uh, as soon as we finished the class, we had to translate all of Zechariah uh, from the Hebrew. And I felt, I want to preach this book. First opportunity I get. And so then I was appointed senior pastor, and I said, I'm going to preach Zechariah. Uh, and uh, it was a thrilling experience for me, honestly, uh, not just in my own study of the book, uh, but also just for where our congregation was at. We were right in the middle of peak COVID. Uh, people were trickling in. You know, it felt like we were in the midst of uh, a return from exile, and things are not what they once were. Mm. Um, but also, as I was studying the book, there was just so much hope and uh, so much confidence in the sovereignty of God and in Jesus Christ building His church. Um, and I felt that among our people as well as we went through the book. Uh, I think as a teacher when, you know, when going to class, so I haven't taught Revelation in the classroom, but we just finished a course on Zechariah. And I begin the course, and this will apply to Revelation quite well, by, you know, taking us back to the COVID pandemic. And in the middle of the you know, when the vaccines first came out, there were articles published from both sides, you know. There were people posting on Twitter and all over the place. This was all the rage, and they were communicating, you know, findings in this way or that way. Uh, and then my mom sent me this little 
link to a video and um, it's the, the, the things, the caption said five minutes after the vaccine. And uh, when I went to the video, I don't know if you've seen the movie Gremlins, but it was a gremlin dancing to Michael Jackson's thriller, you know. <laughs> and um, I, it was funny, but I said, now, now, what is that communicating? It's communicating um, something, right? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't communicate that you literally turn into a gremlin and start dancing to Michael Jackson if you take the vaccine, uh, but it's communicating this person's suspicion in the vaccine, much like other people have communicated in discourse. What I think happens is we tend to, and I see students and everyone tend to approach books like Zechariah, like Revelation, um, you know, as they would read other genres, right? Because we're so familiar with linear discourse, with reading Paul or uh, Romans. And then you come to a book like this and, you know, you begin to interpret everything literalistically. Uh, and it's almost like saying, you know, that that video teaches that you literally turn into this creature and dance if you take the vaccine. So that's what happens when we read the book of Revelation, right? It's like a Martian coming to Earth. I think N.T. Wright says this. It's like a Martian coming to Earth and finding, you know, an old artifact that says the Berlin Wall was broken down, uh, was an earth-shattering, the, the fall of the Berlin Wall was an earth-shattering event, and, and they think there was a massive earthquake that happened, yeah. right? Uh, that's not how we're supposed to read this literature. So I think first is just training our people how to read and understand symbolism and apocalyptic. Yeah, and I agree with that. But I think the other thing I would add to that is that that's, that's not necessarily that hard to do. So I think we need to have those categories and orient our minds to say, okay, we, just, we can't just pretend like this is just the same as reading, you know, like Genesis or something. And so we need to be aware of apocalyptic. We need to be aware of symbolic literature and how to interpret those symbols and how to use the Old Testament in doing that. But then we also, I think some people are afraid to do that because they say, oh, I can't read this like I read any other book of the Bible, so therefore I'm not going to. But it's actually a, a mix of genres and revelation, right? That's one thing we've discovered in our class together is that we've got, it's, you know, it's like an epistle. It begins and ends like an epistle. It's like um, it has narrative characteristics along the way. It has uh, apocalyptic characteristics as well. And so when people sort of keep on their hat of like, okay, all that I've ever learned about how to read the Bible, that's still there. I can keep that, but I maybe need to add a couple more tools to my tool chest as I read apocalyptic. People find, oh, I, you know, as I just familiarize myself with how to do that, I can do this. And I can go to a book like this and realize that it's, yeah, it's written about things that are going to happen later in the future. And there's debate about to what degree that's the case, but it's written for the church. It's written to the church, to the the seven churches most immediately, but then, you know, to all who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so this is for believers of every era to hear and to learn from and to read, and um, we're going to be blessed as we do it. That's what the book says, mm -hmm. and I think we found that to be true in our class. Yeah. Yeah, I, just to pick up on that very last point there, um, it strikes me as, as interesting that so much of the New Testament, including the first several chapters of the book of Revelation, is addressed to individual local churches and what's happening in their context. But then after the end of Revelation chapter 3, there's no more, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no more mention of sort of in, an individual local church for the rest of the book, it's all interactions with the universe, I mean, representations of the universal church. 
And so it seems like the book of Revelation is a great place to kind of highlight the interplay between the universal church and the local manifestations of, of the universal church and the, basically what unites all believers in Christ. Um, but, the, but there's also the fact that even as we're reading as individual members and individual Christians and individual members of local churches, it's, it's eminently relatable. So uh, maybe you guys could talk, uh, reflect a little bit um, with me about, about that sort of, that tension, that, that um, it seems almost like a paradox that, it, that most of the book is not, is not necessarily highlighting local individual congregations, and yet it's imminently relatable to local individual congregations. Does that make sense? John, do you have any well, thoughts on that? Well, very interesting that it's seven churches, isn't it? Yeah. Symbolically significant number of seven, the number of completion. The idea is these are representative churches. Yeah. These are churches that stand for your church. And there are ways that we resonate with what's going on in all of them. And the different challenges facing them, we can really, we can relate. And that's pastorally very helpful. Yeah, I'm even thinking about what you've taught us tonight. Uh, the, 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 the dragon, the Satan keeps coming after us. And I think when we think about that, we often think it's always persecution, persecution. But it can also be seduction. We can be seduced into the world system. So there's different ways we can apply that depending on where our church is. It might not be that we're afraid of being killed by the government, the beast right now. We might be being seduced into the culture around us and compromising. And Revelation speaks to us in that. So it's, it's, it's always, we see it's, it's depicting the reality of the world, but it very much applies to our local situation. Well, and on that, I think as you look at those seven churches, there's some common issues, right? It's kind of... The issues relate either to doctrine, are they accepting false teaching or not, or to their lifestyle, their conduct. Are they, you know, are they immoral? Are they following it in immoral ways? And they're in different positions. Some are pretty good. They're doing well in both areas. Some are doing well in their doctrine, bad in their conduct. Some are doing bad overall. So here's seven churches that some are healthier than others, if you will, which is true of churches in the real world as well. And so it's kind of saying wherever your church locates on this matrix of how good your doctrine is and how good your, your conduct is, there's work to be done. And then the bottom line for each of those churches is the same, that, you know, we're talking about the one who overcomes. The need is to overcome. And uh, the, the same kinds of promises are given to the, for, to, the, to the victor, to the overcomer in each case to say, hey, whether your church is really healthy, it's doing really well, or whether it's really struggling or whatever kind of struggle it has, the need is to, you know, go after Christ who himself is the overcomer. He's going to give you the grace to overcome, but that's an active thing. You've got to persevere in that as a church. You can't just kind of say, hey, we're doing fine we're, wherever we are. It's saying whatever kind of church you're in. There's, there, there's a call that Christ is giving to that church uh, to keep coming towards him and coming after him. You know, uh, Dennis Johnson was a professor at Westminster Seminary, California, so on the west coast of the U.S., and he has a great book on Revelation called The Triumph of the Lamb. And the second chapter of the book, I think the chapter title is West Coast Churches. So that's chapter title or section heading. And then he begins describing these churches just, you know, one church, which is doctrinally solid, but, you know, unloving, and they've grown very rigid. Yeah. Th this other church has compromised with sexual immorality, and they don't practice church discipline. This, and, and he describes all these churches, and then he says, no, these churches are not where I live. And, and, and you could read that and think he was describing churches in, in California. Yeah. But what he means to say is, no, this is, 
this, these were churches in um, Asia Minor, yeah. right, in the first century. And uh, the, these are the churches addressed in the book of Revelation, uh, which is to say, like John said, these are representative churches. These are us, yes. right? Revelation is the story of us. It strikes me as interesting then that, that there's, sometimes we can think of that there's a, a contrast between either having a, a very um, a deep commitment to our individual local congregations, or we can have a deep commitment to Catholicity and a sort of embrace of the universal church. And it seems like the, the exact opposite is true, that the, that the more we sort of uh, dig down into pursuing a spirit of unity and the bond of peace in our individual local congregations, and we deal with all of these things that are true for all Christians, if we maintain this, this grand scope, that, that we will also maintain a, a sense of um, camaraderie with brothers and sisters in Christ around the globe. And so, um, yeah, that, that's an interesting thing that comes up from that. Around the globe and yeah. throughout history. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and all the letters are written to all the churches, right? Yeah. So it's not like there's the Thyatira version of Revelation and the Ephesus version of Revelation, but they all got all seven to that point and said, hey, they all need to learn about all of it. So I, I have, uh, I have a, a several more questions, and I don't think I have time to a- ask all of them. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rapid-fire a series of questions, and then each of you can choose one of those things to talk about. So I, I would like to hear you reflect on how the book of Revelation impacts, because um, it's relevant for all of these areas, how the, how the book of Revelation impacts prayer, our, our understanding of prayer, our understanding of mission, our understanding of worship, and our understanding of, uh, I, I was going to say suffering, but that's been a very, very obvious sort of thing. So let's do sin and temptation. So prayer, uh, what did I say? Prayer, mission. mission, worship, sin and sanctification. Any, any topic that you guys want to choose uh, uh, among those things? Well, I will say... Um, how often do we see the saints praying to God in Revelation and in response, God acts? Yeah. So it's clear that Revelation means for the church to know, that John means for the church to know, your prayers matter. Yes. And it should fuel you as you have this high view of the sovereign God who reigns, that God's using the, sa- the prayers of the saints to accomplish, to further his, his ends in the world. I, when you see this in Revelation, um, give, me the, give me the chapter and the verses. When they're offering up the inc- the uh, the prayers or the incense under like the chapter altar. eight, yes, yes, that's yeah. great to have him here. Um, <laughs> when you see that, it should fuel you in your own personal prayer life because that's telling you the reality of the world that your prayers matter, your congregation's prayers matter, and in God's economy, they're being used for ends you can't fathom. So Revelation encourages me to pray and corporate prayer, right? Yeah, both individual Absolutely. and corporate prayer both, as a church. Yes. Uh, I can speak to um, sin and sanctification, and all throughout this book, you know, there's this call not to compromise, right? One way that the dragon and the beast attacks the church is through persecution and devouring and all of this, but the other way is through seduction, right? And um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm reminded of last year, my, my Christmas sermon last year was re- from Revelation. So I preached Revelation 12 uh, on Christmas Day last year. And uh, kill the dragon, save the girl, the story of the Bible uh, in one chapter in microcosm. And uh, I remember uh, there was a dear brother here, his t- testimony is public. Uh, he's a brother now, but he was a non-Christian 
came in nominal Christian and uh, heard, you know, himself as being on the dragon's side mm -hmm. and bound in sin and heard the cross preached and the Lord saved him, mm. right? Mm. Uh, and uh, was baptized and has joined our church. Um, yeah, Revelation is about the cross and we understand the need for a cross uh, in the fact that we are sinners and we are the redeemed, right, from those who dwell on the earth. Uh, the 144,000 are those who, are, who have been redeemed from what we were. Mm -hmm. And um, even it struck me, even as um, Tom was going through uh, here, chapter 14, notice God's grace and His patience, His great patience, yeah. and how the gospel is repeatedly proclaimed, right? Chapter 14, fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and springs of water. Then the second angel says, fallen, fallen is Bab Babylon the great. Um, the third angel, if, if anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark. So there's these repeated warnings and these repeated calls to repentance. Right? And so Re Revelation is a warning to us that the judgment of God is coming. That this world system will be brought to an end. And that we ought not to be participants in it. Instead, we are to remember that we are those who have been redeemed. And then even when we stumble, right, and sin, we have the one who seeks to accuse us day and night before, uh, you know, the accuser of the brother, brothers. But we have been protected by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so Revelation is a call to rely upon Jesus' blood and a call to maintain the word of that testimony, which, which I don't think the word of the testimony there is talking about a subjective, like my individual testimony. It's our witness, yeah. right? Uh, not to compromise that witness. Amen. Yeah. Someone else? Mission? Worship? Yeah, to just to talk about mission there, um, I, I think the theme of mission is, is all throughout the book. And, and I think Tom's talked about this a couple of times. But just this idea, you know, one way to see that is, you know, 1.5 says that this is, um, you know, uh, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, then verse 6, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. So that idea of believers, us, the recipients of the book, as a kingdom and priest, that theme that we get from Exodus 19 that carries on through the Bible we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are, as God's people, his representatives, his people that make him known to the world, that represent him to the world. And so that's repeated in Revelation that these same churches who are under persecution, who are suffering, they possess that role as those who represent God within this world. And then when we get into the throne room of heaven in chapter 4 and 5 and we see Christ as, a, as the slain lamb and he's the worthy one and he is the, the object of heaven's worship in that same scene then, you know, all before uh, the, the throne, we, we have the, this multitude singing the song. It says, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so here's this, you know, the work of the Lamb is that by His death, He saved people from every tribe and tongue and nation in that, that kind of formula, right, about the tribe and tongue and language that's repeated a few different times in the book, that, that Christ has saved people from everywhere. So it's talking about the ultimate success of mission, that as Christ told us to go and make disciples of all nations, that that is going to happen, that, it, you know, Revelation shows us the success of that mission, but in that same song of worship, it also points back to 
the manner in which that success is going to be accomplished, as it says right after that, it says, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So as that mission is going forward, the people who are the recipients of Christ's redemption then become the agents of Christ's redemption in carrying forward uh, his gospel to the earth. And then you've got the subject of worship. Yes. So much about worship in Revelation. Mm. Uh, worship is when we're pulled out of ourselves and captivated by a grander vision of the greatness of God, and we're, we're satisfied and uh, rejoicing in that. You see chapter 4, worship taking place around the throne. So God seated on a throne exercising dominion, and these elders actually falling down before God in worship and casting their crowns before him. What does that signify when they're casting their crowns before him? That all of their accomplishments, all of who they are, is for him. Mm -hmm. And it's a total giving themselves over to the living God. And how applicable is that? That's what all of us need. Yeah. You know, I think of brothers in the church who are suffering with acute physical concerns. I think of a, a sister in our church who was nine months pregnant, who was about to have a baby, and the umbilical cord strangled the baby and the baby died. Mm. All of her hope had been set on having this child. Mm -hmm. And uh, what Revelation is calling us to in a world of tribulation and affliction and disappointment is there is a greater hope. And a woman like that needs to be sustained by the vision that we have in Revelation 4 and 5 and beyond. Amen. I think that's a good place. I'll, I'll just kind of conclude with my own sort of pitch uh, to you, and that is at the beginning of Revelation in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, John says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There's a promise of blessing that's extended out to those that would devote themselves to reading and understanding and applying the book of Revelation. And the, this, this great promise that if we're faithful to the end, we'll be given this crown. And the conclusion of that at the, at the end of Revelation, in chapter 21 into to chapter 22, you see the culmination of, of all of the biblical hopes that are, that are evoking desire all throughout the Scripture. So as you're reading through the entirety of the Scripture, there's all sorts of promises that God will be our God and we will be His people and He will dwell among us, and all of our satisfaction will be, uh, will, will, uh, all of our desires will be satiated in his presence. And I just want to say that is the ultimate purpose that we exist for, is to have all of our happiness ultimately, ultimately in the presence of God. And it concludes right there in that promise at the very end, uh, chapter 22, uh, verse uh, 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. That's what we're made for, to be in the presence of God. All of the desires that, that God uh, awakens within our, within our hearts that are good and godly have that as their telos, ultimately, to be in the presence of God, worshiping him. And so this is the stuff, of, this is the stuff not just of the Christian life. This is the stuff of what it means to be an image bearer. This is the stuff of what it, what it means to be created by God and for God. And so just to, to really drive down the, the, the point that uh, these brothers are talking about, there is so much reason to devote uh, our time and attention. And you all know this, you're, you're, you're here at this conference to devote two, two whole days to thinking about the book of Revelation, but I just want to commend you for that and to encourage you to, to continue to devote yourself to what's written in this book and uh, not to be intimidated by it.
Would you all um, um, thank the panelists for me? Uh, congratulate them. Um,